Coming up on this episode of This Week in Linux, Canonical releases Ubuntu 17.10, one of the biggest releases of Ubuntu in years. We'll take a look, a brief look at the latest release of, as well as all, of all the other releases for each official flavor. We'll also talk about the potential news as to whether Canonical is planning to become a public company with an IPO or not. Spoiler, uh, they are. Yes. We see some updates for other distros like Fedora 27, Solus, and more. LXQ 0.12 was released this week, actually today. In fact, I think this show might be the first source to cover the news. We also have some Linux hardware and Linux gaming news. There is just so much this week, so let's just jump into it. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to address something that we've recently changed. The live stream date typically was on Sundays at 1 p.m. I've decided to change it so that now when this show is recorded, it's Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. And the show will be released on Sunday mornings as the edited format. But the live stream will be done on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern. So 1 p.m. Eastern, Saturdays, This Week in Linux, live stream. Crack, or the key reinstallation attack vulnerability that was found in the Wi-Fi, is a, is a problem. Definitely a problem. And unfortunately, it actually affects Linux and therefore Android the most. But so what the key reinstallation attack is, is effectively the, the handshake of the protocol for WPA2 is essentially broken. So it, when it, it will resend certain messages that can like tell the device that an authentication key is active or valid when it isn't. So it's, it's an unfortunate situation. And the, the, the funny thing is, is that if you correctly implement the protocol as they suggested, that's the most vulnerable thing to do. And that's why Linux is the most vulnerable because they did it correctly. So you're a little, you're kind of screwed by doing it right. So like, that's fun. Anyway, so I'm going to go in more in depth on the actual problem and how to fix it and what to do and whether how, how big of a deal it is. But just to be for a quick overview, it's not really that big a deal because it's a, a locally isol- isolated issue. So if you have Wi-Fi turned off or you don't have Wi-Fi or you know, other things like that, you're not going to have to be worrying about it. And if it, you're very unlikely as an individual uh, household or anything to have to worry about it. But for companies, especially large companies, it is a huge problem that they should address. And thankfully, pretty much every Linux distro that I could find, like there's probably might some, some obscure one maybe somewhere, um, but pretty much all of them have I've tested have the patch built into it, including the Ubuntu 17 release ISO that was released this week. Uh, they at first thought they wouldn't have it in the patch or have the patch in the ISO, but turns out they totally did because they had to rebuild the ISO for something completely different and said, we might as well just put it in. So I like that. It's convenient and uh, it's useful. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by the Tux Digital Community, or to be more specific, the patrons 
who help with the expenses of the show in the Tux Digital Patreon. If you'd like to help out with the shows, you can visit patreon.com slash tuxdigital and check it out. If you don't think you can contribute much, I just want to make it clear that even a dollar a month is incredibly appreciated. I plan on trying to buy some new equipment for the show. So if you're able to become a patron, it would be a lot of, like, a help, a ton of help if you could. First in the news this week, Green Recorder 3.0.6 was released. And Green Recorder is currently the only method I know of to screen capture on a Wayland session. The reason I brought this up for this this episode is that version 3.0.5 didn't support Ubuntu 17.10 that was released with Wayland by default. And as you can see, there's only one fix on this particular release, and that is that it now supports Ubuntu 17.10. Next up, the U.S. National Renewable Energy Lab released the source code for the System Advisor model. It's the NREL's most powerful renewable energy economic analysis software. Basically, for for most people in the U.S., it's now profitable to install solar photovoltaic systems in their homes or businesses. But this this uh, this is like a suite of tools that I I tell you give you an ability to see how much it will benefit you, or if it will or not. Uh, You can use the PV watts. Uh, tool, which is a free, quick, and easy tool already, but it doesn't. It, it's limited in certain ways. the The SAM tool is actually much more powerful and gives you uh, more flexibility. So, if you have like a complex project or you have like a a particularly large uh, inf- deployment infrastructure, you would use something like this to do it. So, it's really cool that this uh, the source code has been released and it's been put on GitHub. Speaking of open source, Uber has open sourced their Athena X software. It's their analytics streaming platform. The platform is Uber's way of channeling data from a variety of real-time sources while running streaming analytics using SQL. Athena X currently runs more than 220 applications in multiple Uber data centers, where the company says it is processing billions of messages every day. The estimate was that it would re- it could process 7 million messages per minute. So, as far as like scalability, this is interesting. It's kind of like how Facebook introdu- like re- open sourced their infrastructure for their data center storage. And this is kind of like Uber's open sourcing their platform in a similar sense. So this is pretty interesting. Uber's not the greatest company, but this is still an interesting thing they're doing. Next up in the show, Apache OpenOffice 4.1.14 was released this week. OpenOffice has been under the control for the Apache Foundation since May of 2012. Apache OpenOffice became an Apache top-level project on October 17, 2012, so this is like a celebration of the five-year anniversary of OpenOffice becoming an Apache top-level project. The bittersweetness of this is since Apache took over OpenOffice, there have been only nine releases in total. Six of those releases are just maintenance releases for bug fixes and stuff like that. So this is a celebration of stale stagnation, essentially. Put it in perspective, LibreOffice 
has released 12 versions this year in comparison to 12, nine versions of OpenOffice ever. So, why does OpenOffice still exist, Apache? Could you, you know, answer that question? I don't see a reason why it still exists. You, you could just forward openoffice.org to libreoffice.org and uh, no one would care. No one would notice, really. Like in their, their notes, it says 200 million people or millions of people have downloaded um, downloaded OpenOffice since taking it over from the Apache Project. Well, that's uh, millions of unfortunate mistakes that you could fix. So, System76 Pop! OS was released this week along with all the other Ubuntu-based um, 17.10 distros. System76 Pop! OS is pretty much right now just a a distro that's based on 17.10 with some you know flair, like fancy icons and nice designs and things like that. It's not really that different right now, but there are a few things to make point of, like there are difference, differences. Like, for example, Wayland is by default in Ubuntu 17.10, but X was decided to be used as the default for Pop! OS. Also, there's there's they're both using the same installer for this release, but Pop! OS is planned to make um, 18.04 have their own custom installer. So there are there are going to diverge uh pretty soon, fairly soon. The other thing that Pop OS has that's different is the uh, the ISOs, there's two different ISOs. One is just a basic ISO that's like a generic generally that you expect them to have. And then you have another ISO specifically for Nvidia users where the proprietary drivers for Nvidia are baked in by default. I think that's the first distro I've ever seen do that. So that's pretty interesting. So either way, I'm looking forward to giving Pop! OS a try. Even if, even if I still don't like their name of their distro. <laughs> just take out the exclamation point and underscore, please. Let's just do this. Solus had a big update this week. They introduced uh, 400 packages for the GNOME release or GNOME version of the of the Solus where they either upgraded or rebuilt 400 packages across the GNOME stack. They also added support for Apple AirPrint and IPB Everywhere with the driverless printing fun- functionality. Similar also Ubuntu 17.10 introduced this same feature a few months back. So I'm not sure exactly if they're using the same code or not, but it's 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 really good to see that the driverless printing abilities for like Wi-Fi printing is being you know spread out across distros because printing is one of the most annoying things about computing in my opinion. And also the Linux Steam integration tool received a lot of improvements for better stability and support for more games. From a blog post this week, Fedora has announced that Fedora 27 will have RHEL 7 virtual machines provided by GNOME boxes by default for free. All you need is a a Red Hat developer account, and then you can install and play with Red Hat RHEL 7 um, immediately with the Fedora 27 workstation. Speaking of Red Hat, Fortune.com released their first ever Fortune 
Future 50 list, which is for companies Fortune believes to be have the best protect, prospects for growth. Red Hat is included in this futures list. There, it's kind of confusing that like the actual number of where they are is odd because there's two different sets in this list. There's actually a 25 and a 25. So there isn't really a definitive number that they placed Red Hat at. There's been a pressing question for Canonical as soon as they announced that the Unity desktop was going to be abandoned. it started. People started asking whether they're doing this for a business reason and are they on a path to an IPO, uh, initial public offering, to become a public company. There's really never been a definitive answer until now. This week, uh, Mark, Mark answered the question and uh, here's what he had to say. In looking at it, um, we came to a consensual view amongst the leads at the company that we should put ourselves on the path to being a public company. Yeah. And so that meant that we couldn't have on our books effectively very substantial projects which clearly had no commercial angle to them at all. It doesn't mean that we would consider changing the terms of Ubuntu, for example, sure. because it's foundational to everything yeah. we do, and we don't have to. One of the things I'm most proud of is in the last seven years, Ubuntu itself became completely sustainable. Ubuntu Budgie 17.10 was released this week. The, this, this version has a new stylish alt-tab function, support for switching the window controls to either left or right, customization of the look and date time in the panel. And while that does seem kind of very minuscule thing, it's actually something really important to a lot of people including myself, because I want the date to display in a certain, in a specific way. And I don't really care about the time, but the date I would prefer to do it in an ISO format. So it's year, month, day. But it's really nice that you can have that. Not all district, dist, uh, desktop environments have that. So also, Budgie Desktop 10.4 added support for the left and right side panels, allowing you to convert a panel into a dock with features like transparency and dynamic hiding or auto-hiding. Kubuntu 17.10 was released with KDE Plasma 5.10.5 as a desktop environment, with KDE Application 17.4.3, KDE Frameworks 5.38.0, and Qt 5.9.1 stacks. Kubuntu 17.10 switches to VLC as a default media player, which is kind of a good move, considering I don't think anyone would... Um, say that Dragon Player is a beloved application of all the options. And also there's a lot of updates for applications such as LibreOffice was updated to 5.4.1 and Firefox 2 version 56. Zubuntu 17.10 was released. Not a lot has changed, but that's kind of like the selling point for Zubuntu. Zubuntu looks a bit better with 17.10 though due to the updated icons and improved client-side decorations, which allow you to save some more space on your windows. And they've also started porting a lot more of the different segments of the Zubuntu and XFCE. Like, they've already in the process, but a lot have, a lot have already been fully ported. So XFCE Dictionary, Genmon plugin, and the Mount plugins have all been ported to GTK3. So that's very good. It's a very good sign that Pretty soon, hopefully, 4.14 will come out. Uh, but unfortunately, we do not have an answer just yet on that one. Lubuntu 17.10 was released with a long-standing Abbey Word performance bug that's been fixed. 
The latest version of Audacious has been included with 3.9. 17 Tim ships with an upstream snapshot of hard info package, which brings many improvements as they prepare to port to GTK3 for it. And Lubuntu 10, like, sorry, Lubuntu team patched menu cache, PC Man FM, and many other packages that needed security patches. But to be honest, LXDE is not the most exciting thing about Lubuntu. Lubuntu Next is available, but not in the sense of like a 1710 release. It's currently available as a daily build ISO. But with the the current Lubuntu Next, you get ships with five Qt 5.9.1 and LXQt 0.11. Lubuntu Next didn't ship with the image for ISO, as I said, but you can get it as a daily build ISO, which you can find a link in the description below or in the show notes. The Linux, I mean, the, the Lubuntu Next... ISO is not really ready for production, so keep that in mind if you decide to test it. And finally, the last flavor, Ubuntu Mate 1710 was released and is the first distro at all to ship with a snap pre-installed by default. This particular snap is called Pulse Mixer. It's a command line tool for changing the volume of Pulse Audio sound system. Essentially, it's like a command line version of Pavu Control. I've tried it a little bit, and it's pretty cool, especially when you can put it in a drop-down terminal. That's pretty fun. Fun? Well, it's a, it's it's effective. <laughs> it's not it's not a game or anything. Um, the other thing to note for this release is the mutiny layout of Ubuntu Mate has seen a ton of work and is really, really interesting. The global menu and the heads-up display feature that was available in Unity is now available in the Mutiny layout. The The global menu is probably the most impressive part of this is because it's fully functional with GTK and Qt and is even compatible with like custom implement- implementations of various toolkits like how LibreOffice, Firefox, Thunderbird, Google Chrome, Electron, and etc. do it. So it's very impressive that they have that much support across the board for the global menu support. It's just... It's impressive. And the heads-up display is a little different. Instead of being like in a, a specific spot, it's on the individual window for the application. So that's an interesting tactic to go with. But I kind of like it. Either way, it's really interesting. And Mutiny might be a, I don't know, saving grace for some people who don't want to lose Unity so they don't want to go to GNOME, but then they don't want to lose all the features that they liked in Unity. They could just switch to Ubuntu Mate and use the Mutiny layout. Ubuntu 17.10 was released with the first release of GNOME, or GNOME, as the desktop environment for Ubuntu. 17 shipped with Wayland by default for testing purposes. So based on this testing for this particular release, they will decide whether or not to use Wayland or X in the future release of 18.04 LTS. So if you want to participate and let them know how it worked out for you, that could be useful for the next release. If you want to use X still, it's also available in the login session screen, so you can choose it to use the Xorg version instead of Wayland if you'd like to, in case you have you experience issues. The Ubuntu GNOME flavor has been discontinued, but if you are using Ubuntu GNOME prior to this release, you can upgrade, and it will take you directly to the new Ubuntu 17.10 version. It is it is also possible to install Ubuntu with the customized GNOME version that Canonical and Ubuntu made, 
which in my opinion is way better than the default setup because it fixes all it fixes the top icons issue it fixes the docking issue the docks issue it fixes all kinds of things that i think are very important and make gnome a usable desktop environment or you could use the vanilla gnome for as well and then just build on top of it however you like but there's one thing to note is that if you have the vanilla gnome set up you're not going to have a system tray because it's been removed by gnome so you need to install top icons plus rather than the one that ubuntu made because that one is like a custom package for the, from their repo rather than the extension store so you know look for top icons plus to solve that although unfortunately in the future that that one won't work either so who knows but for now it works uh, ubuntu also replaced lightdm with gdm which is interesting because lightdm is a project created by someone who works at Canonical. So a lot of distros use LightDM, including Interagos, Ubuntu Mate, Linux Mint. So LightDM is not going to any, go anywhere, but it is interesting that the, the Ubuntu proper version is using GDM this time. Ubuntu 17.10 also updated a ton of packages, including upgrading to the Linux kernel 4.13, Python 3.6, and they also removed Python 2, which is pretty good because it's been deprecated for quite a while. And uh, we also talked about in a previous episode that they really they stopped making a build for the 32-bit ISOs. So this is the first version they're not going to make those anymore. But that only applies to Ubuntu proper. So if you really need 32-bit, you probably wouldn't use GNOME anyway. You'd use something like LXDE or XFCE or Mate, and all of those still have 32-bit builds. So if you're looking for something like that, then definitely check out those flavors instead. Next up this week is desktop environment news. LXQt 0.12 was released today. LXQt has a lot of new features coming this release, but I think the biggest changes are adding support for high DPI and splitting of LXQt-common into multiple sets of packages, making the DE much more modular structured. I look forward to testing out this release as soon as it's available to do so because LXQt 0.11 has a lot of potential, and I, I enjoyed using it. So I can't wait to try out 0.12, and hopefully, someday, soon, uh, 1.0 will come from LXQt, and it's ready to go. But until that day, I'm still happy to see things like this being released fairly quickly. As far as uh, Lubuntu Next, I found out that Lubuntu Next 18.04 will likely have 0.12 by default, or maybe 0.13. It still won't be the default for 18.04. That's going to be LXDE as well, because it's an LTS, and it's just it's just better to release an LTS with a you know, tried-and-true type thing. But it's possible, just saying possible, that 18.10 for Lubuntu could have LXQt. So that will be something to look forward to. XFCE got uh, notification improvements announced this week. The panel plugin displays the most recent notifications as well as allowing for quick access to a do not disturb mode, which is really cool because as someone who's doing a live stream and doesn't have a do not disturb mode on their notification system, it can kind of be cumbersome. <laughs> so that's a really cool thing that they added. 
Uh, they've also improved logging and made some bug fixes for the notifications. A uh, cool thing about the logging is that they support image displaying for the for the notification log. Next up is Private Internet Access becomes a KDE patron. Private Internet Access, or PIA, is entrenched in so many open source projects now via funding, it's rather impressive. The massive amount of the massive open source oriented IRC network Freenode is not only funded by PIA, it was purchased by PIA this year. So there's a lot of respect for the work that they're doing, both as a VPN service and all the contributions they're making to the open source community. It's just it's really good. The Volad, I'm not sure, Volad, I'm not sure. Uh, the first 3D printer to utilize streaming technology and allow you to share online. Uh, what it's actually it's like a, it's a cool project because one, it's a it's a printer that doesn't require a computer connected to it. It just connects to a streaming service. And you can pull in the models and build it that build stuff that way. That's pretty cool. But what's actually even better is that this is a printer that is based on the BeagleBone Black uh, circuit board. That's like a competitor to the Raspberry Pi, and it's also running Debian to make everything work. I think they also already backed everything. I think it's fully funded now. Yeah. Yeah, funded within the first day. So they're fully funded and may even get a little bit more. But it's a pretty cool project, and I think it's like $500. But I'm not really sure like what they're kickstarting because it's already it already exists. So it's not like they're kickstarting for development or production or anything. Because they're saying that it's going to ship in December of this year. So that's pretty soon. And I I doubt I'll actually get one. But I want to play with it for sure. Purism announced on their blog today, uh, this week that their laptops are now shipping with the Intel, Intel Management Engine disabled by default. The Intel Management Engine, or ME, is a separate CPU that can run and control a computer even when it's powered off. Yeah, I don't know why Intel thought that was a good idea or why it still even exists and why don't they stop it? Uh, I don't know. But a lot of security analysts in the, in the security community in general uh, are not fans of this kind of thing because it's firmware that can do whatever it wants and you have no way to change it. But thankfully, there have been people who've been working on it for a very long time have figured out that there is a way to disable it. You can just turn you can turn off the firmware so like it, firmware so it can't load itself back up. So while it's, you know, kind of like a transitional fix, it is a permanent fix for hardware that you can have control of the BIOS. This was thought like everybody used to think that it was impossible to disable the the management engine. But it totally is possible now and all Librem laptops that are being purchased from now on already have it disabled, and if you run an upgrade to your firmware, if you already have one of the laptops, you can get it disabled from that way too. The way that it's, the reason why they can do it is because they basically built their own BIOS firmware using Core Boot and some other stuff I don't remember exactly, but <laughs> so it allows them to directly halt the management engine without the 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 engine being able to like recover the ability to come back from it. 
So it's like a verifiably disabled feature. Disabling feature, I mean. So it's really good that they're doing this. And hopefully it'll mean that other computers uh, can release, and other specifically distros or whatever, can release patches to turn that off because no one likes it other than Intel. And uh, gives me kind of like an incentive to want AMD at this point. This week, the Linux kernel community enforcement statement was was issued, and with it, it's it's basically a a, a fix for some interpretations of the GPL two license that is used for the Linux kernel. Unfortunately, a developer from the NetFilter community, Patrick McHardy, has been trying to enforce his copyright claims in secret and for large sums of money by threatening or engaging in litigation with companies. So this particular community statement is allow is making it possible so that his devious, I guess, his devious tactics to try to threaten money out of people will no longer be possible because by using or working with the kernel, you are agreeing to this enforcement statement, which means that people like this won't be able to make these types of claims anymore. So what's really what's happening is they're taking certain aspects of the GPL v3 and then applying them to the GPL v2 while still being GPL v2 based. So it's like a a mixed license type thing, but still mostly GPL v2. So they're not going to like change the license. They're just also adding this enforcement statement on top of it to kind of create a... Um, an umbrella to cover this particular type of situation. And what's interesting is that if, if just years ago, um, almost 10 years ago, Linus Torvalds was, uh, was answered the question of whether he should change the kernel to GPL v3 instead of v2. And his point of not doing so was because you're supposed to make private signing keys available for the GPL, the GPL v3 based on like this DRM implementation of the license. And Linus called that insane, and I tend to agree with that. So I think this is a nice stopgap to fix this issue and also future issues based on it, while at the same time still not having to relicense. Samsung announced their phone-as-a-desktop concept can run Linux. It's the DEX, or I'm not sure it's supposed to say DEX or not, but... It's a, a giving an ability or capability for mobile devices to run Linux-based distributions. This particular type of thing is going to be distributed as an app to run on top of Android phones. So it's, it's interesting because it's not a virtual machine and it's not containerization or emulation. It's more of a compatibility layer to provide support for running a different distro on top of the Android device, while also using the Android kernel. So the the Linux kernel in Android is a modified version of the kernel. So it's it is it is Linux, but it's also modified Linux. So this um, so it's kind of interesting how to see how this would work with a distro because it's a different kernel, and would they have to package the distro to support this particular thing, or not? Or they could just like you know, plug-and-play type of thing. I'm, that's no idea. The, the information we have right now is that it will be a compatibility layer, not virtual machine, and 
we don't really have any kind of a announcement for timeline because it's not it's not publicly usable yet, but it does look like it has a lot of potential, and I definitely would give it a try as soon as it's available, especially if it doesn't require root or anything on your phone, especially that. Oxygen OS Android 8.0 Open Beta was announced by HotHardware.com and saying that you can now use the Oxygen OS beta version for the, based on 8.0 Oreo on your OnePlus 3 or OnePlus 3T phone. That's not really that interesting, and I only brought it in because it's current, and I want to talk about something else, about OnePlus. So OnePlus was um, caught collecting personal information about their users. They were collecting personable, personal identifiable analytical data from all of their users, all of their phone owners. So it was getting track for the, the phone number, the IMEI number of the phone, the, the serial number of the phone, the Wi-Fi networks is connecting to, and a bunch of other stuff. And it didn't ha- it didn't matter, like you know, if it was like a certain ping for a particular event, like maybe certain events could trigger something that's somewhat relevant. This happened all the time, always, regardless of what app you run. And just by opening an app, it would do this. So they were tracking like everything you do. And they were sending it to their own servers, but not telling anyone they were doing this. Somebody just found a weird, uh, a weird, like packet being sent, and then started like digging into it and finding out that they did all of this stuff. Then once people figured, once they found out, OnePlus decided to say that they're going to stop collecting certain information. So. <laughs> So they're not going to check, take your IMEI number. They're not going to take your CRA number. They're not going to take your phone number anymore. So they're going to take everything else still, but they're also going to give you an opt-out option. <laughs> you know, they're totally fixing that problem for sure. So anyone who's using OnePlus device, this is just a, a quick tip. Lineage OS is definitely something you should check out. Just replace the OS entirely, and Lineage does work on OnePlus devices, so definitely check it out. And as soon as the Librem 5 gets out, or you know, comes out, we should we'll totally check that one out too. But that'll be a while. Oh, and speaking of which, if you use the OnePlus 3 or the OnePlus 3T, make sure you get the right ISO for the right phone. Because they, they don't really clarify which one is which that well. So you got to make sure that you, you put the 3T version on, not the 3, if you have a 3T. Because you could brick your phone. Not guaranteed, but it's possible. So be sure to clarify which one it is. We now have received the dates for the next three Steam sales due to a leak reported by Kotaku. I'm not really sure where the leak came from. But we do know that the Halloween sale will be October 26th through the November 1st, and the autumn sale will be November 22nd through November 28th, which is like basically through Black Friday. And the Steam Winter sale will be December 21st to January 4th. So that's pretty cool that we already know when the dates are going to happen. So if you're wanting to buy a game, 
depending on what it is, you might want to wait a little bit because it might be going on sale. So all the next game news are just going to be games that are already on sale because otherwise you might as well wait. The Humble Down Under Bundle provides pretty much every game except for one support for Linux. So it's pretty cool, and you can get all the games for around $12. I don't know why it's called the Down Under Bundle. I assume it's... I I don't know. They don't explain it. I just I assume that every developer is Australian or something. Like, why did they call it that? I don't know. But what is pretty cool is that there is a game that I would tell I would suggest to check out called Screen Cheat. And Screen Cheat is a game that allows you to play first person shooter but you can't see yourself or anyone else unless you look at your opponent's screen. So you can't like when you can't shoot them. You know, there's basically when you were like a kid or something, you played these games like Goldeneye or something. You would always look at the other person's screen to cheat and find out where they're coming from. In this game, you're required to do that because you can't see them otherwise. So it's a really cool mechanic that I think is definitely worth checking out if you have it. Next up is Dirt Rally, which is on sale for eighty percent off. And this particular game is a pretty cool, like, rally sport game. And you can get it now for $12. And the sale ends somewhere around, sometime Monday. Not totally sure when, but sometime Monday. I could do the math, but I'm not going to. <laughs> also on sale, from also from Feral Interactive as the port, the people who ported this game, is Grid Autosport for 75% off. And this is also a really cool racing game. And it's got a lot, very positive reviews pretty much entirely. So you can get this game for $10 for the same amount of time. Like the they have the same end date. City Skylines is 75% off for, I think, the week. Yeah, pretty much the week. So if you're interested in playing this, it's like a simulator for creating cities. It's like SimCity, but more modern and a lot a lot more customization options. And they're constantly adding new DLCs, which in fact, they just recently added a new DLC for like green cities. So like uh, environmental effects and you can build like certain types of uh, power plants and things like that that are green. So that's pretty cool. I th- the the DLC just released a couple days ago, like on the 19th. So the fact that they're already putting the game out on, on, on sale because of the DLC, that's pretty cool. I, I appreciate that kind of thing. But so that's all the games for this week. And be sure to mark your calendar for when the rest of the games go on sale. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash touchdigital, or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt. The shirt is available by going to touchdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. now, 
1 p.m. Eastern. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the Linux GNU's each week. Thanks for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital, and as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.